these are the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin at the sacrifice of himself. Just as it is appointed for man to die once and then after that comes judgment, so Christ, not to deal with sin, waiting for him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is so clear from the very beginning as we've looked to now. You, Father, it's you who can do this, not us. So, Father, as we think about your text, as we think about your word, I pray that you would do what only you can do. You would encourage us, you would cleanse us, you would sanctify us, you will purify us through your word, with your blood of your Son. Jesus Christ, then we pray. I would like to just cast our minds, if we could, to about 751 B.C. really quickly. The year is 751 B.C. Uh, and a fellow named Azariah II is the high priest of Israel. Of course, none of us are Jewish. None of us are Hebrew. Okay, But something tells me it's important to know this because the epistle that we're reading to is a letter to the Hebrews. They would have been aware of how... All of this works. So Azariah II, as the high priest of Israel, has an extremely important role in Israel. It is his duty okay, to come before God and make atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. What does that mean? He must make sacrifice with animals okay, for the sins that they have committed as a people. He is a priest and not only a priest... But the high priest, he's like the head priest of the nation of Israel. Not only is the year 751 B.C., but the day is a very important day for Azariah II and the nation of Israel. This day is known as Yom Kippur, or what your Bible is going to call the Day of Atonement. And every day on this day, Azariah II and Azariah II alone has the duty to make atonement for the people through the sacrifice of said animals. This includes coming to the tent of meeting with certain sacrifices set aside in order to make atonement. The tent of meeting was literally a tent designed for the priests to meet with God on behalf of the nation of Israel. Azariah II must make atonement first for himself and his family by sacrificing a bull in order to cleanse himself of the sin that he has committed. He approaches the holy places within the tent, which is like an inner sanctuary within the tent that is even more set apart than the tent itself. It's even more holy. Okay? 
It's even more representative of God. This place, once a year, made atonement for his own sin, purpose of making atonement. After the high priest has made atonement for his own sin, he must take two more sacrifices. This is done in order to make atonement for everyone else. So once he's done uh, with the atonement for himself, he must make atonement for everyone else. This is going to be done uh, in the same place. Firstly, by bringing a goat forth to be slain and slaughtered, sacrificed before the Lord. This is to, to signify that the sins of the people have been covered with blood and forgiven. Next, Azariah II, the high priest of Israel in 751 B.C., must take another goat. On this goat, what we would call the scapegoat, Azariah II is going to lay his hands on and place all the sins of Israel on it. He is to pray to the Lord as he lays his hands on this goat, signifying the transfer of sins of the nation of Israel onto this goat. He's going to send it out in the woods. Doing this, this is going to signify that not only have the sins of the people have been forgiven by the slain goat, but the sins have been taken away. And they've been removed from the presence of the people of Israel. So, after this, the Day of Atonement is mostly done. However, there is an astronomically large problem here. You see, the, the blood from the goats and the bull, it didn't really do anything. Before God, the people are still guilty. and They're not at all changed by what has happened. The people of Israel, and Azariah II included, are going to sin and be guilty before God, before the sun sets on the Day of Atonement in 751 B.C. Because the sacrifice of the bulls and the goats were not good enough to really forgive the people of their sin or take their sin far away. However, there is great news stored up for us in the text here this morning. As the author of Hebrews tells us, that although the sacrifices and bulls of goats are not sufficient, that Jesus Christ is sufficient as our sacrifice. That the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the sins that we have committed and the sins that we hold so close to us as sinners. He has covered the sins of the believer past, present, and future and has taken the sin of the believer far and wide, brothers and sisters. How has He done this? Are you sure you know what you're talking about up there? I'm not sure I'm following you up here. You had a little white thing on your coat earlier. Now it's not there. You must have, you're faking it up there. Despite what it seems like, brothers and sisters, this is true. Jesus Christ has appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come according to verse 11. And what are these good things? As we worship, by the power of... We find this in verse 4. Something that was unheard of for the common believer of the old covenant. We find this in verse 14. We have received an eternal inheritance in heaven. We can see this in verse 15. We have the power to defeat sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we are not enslaved to, enslaved to committing it as Christ puts it away. This is found in verse 26. And we have an unshakable hope that He will return for us. This is 
found in verse 28. These are just a few of the many, many good and great things that we uh, have, that, that have come as a result of Jesus Christ appearing as our high priest. But very quickly, what does, what does that mean? What does it mean? What does the text mean that Jesus is our high priest? Jesus is going to make atonement for sins. That is first and foremost detail number one. He does this, as the text tells us, not by his own blood. Not through the blood of animals. Why? Because the blood of animals doesn't actually do anything. He does it by his blood in a few ways. Jesus doesn't need the bull. Remember, Azariah II has to take the bull because he's sinful. Jesus doesn't have to. Why? Because he's not sinful. Jesus doesn't need the bull because he's not a sinner. He is perfectly righteous and does everything perfect according to the law of God. Next, Jesus is both of the goats that are sacrificed for the people. He is slain and slaughtered as a goat as he is crucified and killed on the cross. His blood is spilled and it covers the sins of believers. He is the scapegoat that the priest sent out into the woods as he walks out of the tomb because death could not defeat him. His resurrection allows for believers to not be bound by their sin. Jesus as the high priest is the most perfect fulfillment of the high priest of the Old Testament because he actually deals with the sins of the people. He actually does something that the blood could not do. Jesus Christ actually does it for us because we could not. And as a result of that, He has ushered in a new covenant by redeeming us and buying us back from this works-based means of salvation. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is here. And verse 15 is where we're going to pick up. The text reads, Therefore He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So new covenant. He is qualified to be the mediator of a new covenant. So Jesus Christ is the God-man. He's fully God. He's fully man. Representing both parties that cannot reach an agreement. As the mediator, he stands between the accusing party, God, and the guilty party, man. As the mediator, his death is what bridges the gap. It brings both parties back together. Through the death of Jesus Christ, man is redeemed from the sins he has committed under the first covenant. And so, for man to be made right, he must be looked on and seen as Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is the pinnacle of our redemption. This is what we say when we say things like we're saved. As God counts all of man's sin towards the sacrifice that is Jesus Christ, man can be made right in Christ. Also, we see He is a mediator for a specific people. This promised eternal inheritance is to be received by a certain people, according to the text. Here, in verse 15, it is by a called people. 
by those who are called. By those who from amongst the population of the world, God has looked upon them and said, these are mine. And because these people know this and they realize this, as a result, these people love Him. They seek Him. They love others who are called by Him. And they gather together and do life together. And they hold each other accountable. And they can't wait to see Him. Brothers and sisters, can't you see that we are a precious people in the eyes of a God who has redeemed us? We have been saved by God and from God, and He has done this through His Son for the purpose of, his, of spending eternity with you that will be all the more glorifying to Him. To call yourself a Christian is not a small thing, and we should never think about it as such. One of the great sins of the modern church is that she does not even know who she is. The church is the redeemed bride that God has called. He's called her. This isn't by chance, and it isn't your doing. Please see that God has called you into this. Church. Verse 16 and 17. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it. Just as a will is not acted on until there is a death in the family, the new covenant does not take place without a death first. The heirs to the promise under the new covenant cannot witness the good things to come if they're still heirs. This means that the maker and the creator of the covenant must experience death. That's what a will means. That's what being an heir means. Christ's death is sufficient in ushering the will into effect because He is indeed God. He's qualified there and His death was not breached for us in vain. He didn't do it for no reason. Through this death, we can actually possess the good things that have come. Verse 18 through 22 reads this. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Here we see, church, that even the first covenant was ushered in through blood. As Moses received the law given to him, he was ordered by God to take the blood of bulls and goats and calves, according to the text, and sprinkle the book, and the people. In verse 20, it is important to note that the blood of these animals is the blood of the first covenant. And with that blood, Moses sprinkles it on the tent and on the vessels that were going to be used in worship of God. And the picture provided to us in verse 22 is that under the law, just about everything is made clean. That's what purified means. It's made clean and purified with blood because without the blood, 
there can be no forgiveness of sins. Only this blood, like we're saying, didn't do what the people needed in needed the the blood didn't do what the people needed it to do. Redemption requires blood. The Bible as a whole is consistent on this point. The second and the better covenant just states that it must be the right blood. It's not a new thing. It just needs the right thing. The blood that is actually able to redeem. You see, in large part, the people of the old covenant are missing something. The sacrifice that they take was in part faithful, sure. The sacrifice sacrifice that they take part in, I'm sure they would tell you is full of worship. But I'm telling you with great confidence, church, that the sacrifice that the people of the old covenant were taking part in was not sufficient. It is not sufficient because it was never meant to be sufficient. It was not sufficient because the sufficiency of that sacrifice is reserved for the perfect sacrifice. The blood of bulls and calves and goats are simply a shadow of the sacrifice that is to be Jesus Christ the Messiah. The atoning sacrifice for sin and the sacrifice that sanctifies the people of God to be their God. It is only in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can be redeemed from the guilt of sin. and be redeemed from the power of sin. It is only in the real power reserved in the blood of this most perfect and precious sacrifice that the people and the book and the worship can be transformed by the sprinkling of His blood. Without this sprinkling, everything is in vain, brothers and sisters. Without it, we possess nothing. We have nothing and we are nothing. Without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to you in your being, in your understanding of God's word, and in your worship, it all means nothing. Unless you have witnessed and experienced the sprinkling and the splattering of the blood of this sacrifice, you cannot be cleansed. Without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to you, you are not redeemed. You are not bought back. Dear brothers and sisters, if we have, if we truly have experienced this, how beautiful and joyful is this thing that we're sitting back and thinking about. It is a beautiful thing what the Lord has done for His people. And we should have great confidence in our world and before the throne of Almighty God if we have said something as bold as the fact that we believe that God has slain His most precious Son for the, for the sake of saving a remnant people of the earth to which I belong. As His people, we are actually redeemed. He has actually paid for us in full that we do not walk around with ourselves high and lifted up in our lives. How precious is this redemptive blood that sets us free from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. Verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. 
the text tells us that it was necessary for the copies to be purified with the rites and rituals and sacrifices that we have seen and explained. But we are not in that time anymore, brothers and sisters. Christmas is here. We don't need to or have to make sacrifices with the blood of animals anymore. We don't we have no more need for using the copy or the placeholder of the real thing instead of the real thing. The rites we are describing are copies of the heavenly ones in the blood of goats and calves and bulls. The word is not teaching that they are duplicates of the better sacrifices. Duplicates and copies are not the same thing. Duplicates are of the same value and are just as good. Copies are of lesser value and nowhere near as good. Think of it in this way. Maybe imagine that we have a key to our house. The original key to your home. The very first one that was ever made for your house. And say we cut that key for other folks in your family. We give everybody one for Christmas or something. Are the new keys going to work just like the old one does? Of course. Of course it is. Why? Well, because it's duplicate. It's meant to work in the same way. Now take something like the painting of the Mona Lisa, painted by the Italian painter Leonardo da Vinci during the Italian Renaissance. Could I make a duplicate of that? Could I actually paint a duplicate of that painting? Could I make in the same way the painting that da Vinci painted and make it look and feel and appraise for the same exact thing? Of course not. The painting is overwhelmingly more valuable because it can't be duplicated. On the other hand, I can go right now on Amazon or Walmart or wherever and I can buy a copy of that painting for about 50 bucks. And the difference between the real one and the copy of one, the fake one can be $50 and the real one, I looked it up, maybe it's true, probably not, everything you find on the internet is probably not true, but it's valued somewhere around $100 million. So what's the difference? It's very simple, actually. The difference is one of the paintings is the real thing and the other painting is just a copy of the real thing. The blood of goats and bulls and calves, it's a copy, friends. It's the Walmart version of the Mona Lisa. While the blood of Christ is the real thing. The blood of goats and bulls and calves was necessary, absolutely. It served a purpose in revealing the order of how God is going to design this process of atonement for His people because they're sinful. It served the purpose of showing the Israelites the means by which they will be saved. It was not the process that was the problem. It was the substance. Sacrifice of an animal never saved anyone. However, it did prepare people to understand how the forgiveness of sins would be applied through a better sacrifice in Christ Jesus who actually had the power and the authority and the value in His blood to save a people. Verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 24, we can have great confidence. Christ is a better sacrifice because He has entered into heaven itself. The real thing. The real holy places. 
The one where the holy God and His hosts are and they reign. And He does this for a very specific and clear purpose provided for us right here in the text. Christ Jesus, the slain sacrifice, has entered into heaven and there He remains, hence the word now, where He has appeared before God Almighty. Why? The text tells us that it's on our behalf. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can have great confidence in our salvation as a Christian because of this. The Messiah is in heaven right now and is before God right now who is enthroned right now. And He makes intercession right now for the saints, for you. This means that Christ appears before God for your defense, for your support. He goes before God in the place of this called out people and He says, Oh, Father, judge them not, for they are Mine. I know them and I love them. Do you know this? Do you think of this, church? Are we to mope around here on earth and constantly be concerned as to why we aren't where we want to be in our faith? If the God of heaven looks at us and sees His Son perfectly slain and sacrificed for our sin. Are we never pleased to love Christ for who He is and what He has done? He died, brothers and sisters. He died. He died to redeem you. And not the kind of death that we try to make it out to be. Not the kind of death that we talk about like a fairy, like a fairy tale story. He was scorched. His flesh laid wide open. And they hung him on a tree as a trophy to show everybody that they killed him. And the Bible's telling us that he did that for you in your place because you actually deserve it. Let us hear this and be overcome with love the Lord Jesus Christ and draw near to Him in His death and die with Him a death to self and seek to serve Him with all that we are because we love Him. We love Him because of who He is. We love Him because what He has done for us and on our behalf as the Redeemer of our souls as He enters into heaven before God to save us from sin and save us not to sin as we used to. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We see too, brothers and sisters, that not only did he enter into heaven but He appeared once for all. Please see the intimacy that the Bible is saying that is reserved for this group of people called out of their sin and into a relationship with the God of heaven. And if you have not had a changed relationship with your sin as a result of this relationship that we are describing, then it is my duty, I have to tell you emphatically that no sacrifice has been made for you on behalf of Jesus Christ. If you can walk around and live in your sin 
with little to no guilt or shame for what it has done to the crucified sacrifice, I'm sorry to say, but you simply don't know Him, and it is urgent that you seek Him right now, even as I speak. Stop listening to me immediately and cry out to God in your heart and ask Him to change your relationship with your sin. It is urgent, brothers and sisters. The Word says in verse 26, if it were like the earthly high priest, Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. This testifies to the sinful state that humankind is found in here on earth. Praise be to God that this is not that. This is the furthest thing from the earthly high priest because Jesus is not earthly. He is God incarnate. He does not need to enter the holy places every year as the high priest because the substance of His sacrifice was the real deal. This one actually worked. We don't need another sacrifice because this sacrifice actually worked. We don't need anything in addition to Jesus Christ. Please think about that. I recently did buy my wife a washing machine, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm not going to buy her another one next week. I hope I don't have to buy another one for a really long time. And I won't, as long as it works. I would have no need to buy another washing machine if the one that I have right now works. And just like that, we don't need another means of sacrifice, another means of salvation, another means of atonement before the Lord. Because Jesus is sufficient. He is quite literally all we need. Christ's sacrifice was... And it is the end all, be all. In that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, all the sins of all the saints that ever lived from the very beginning of time that did not trust in themselves, but in God to be their righteousness for them was laid on Him. And on Him did God pour out the wrath. He actually poured out the wrath that all these people deserve because He will by no means clear the guilty. So that they can be made and counted righteous. As this God-man was perfectly righteous and qualified to be the atoning sacrifice. It only took one time, because that's all it took, brothers and sisters. It is my hypothesis that we have a really hard time understanding the perfection of Christ due to our own imperfections sometimes. It seems like we often try to make Jesus like us in a way so that we can better identify with Him. we got to stop trying that. Okay? we got to stop trying to make Jesus like us. He ain't like us, church. If we say that we are Christians, we're saying that we are like Him. And we submit to Him. And because of that, and because of His perfection and His work and not ours, we are no longer to bear the weight of sin nor are we impacted by the power of sin as slaves to our sin, because Christ has put it away. Verse 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly 
for him. The word tells us that, that, that there is a clear order set in place in verse 27, telling us that after man dies, after that comes judgment. After a man or a woman breathes their last here on earth, they are to stand before the Almighty God and give an account for their conduct and how they live their life. So it has been for all people. Verse 28 says, in relationship to that, and not separated from that, Christ follows a similar order. He dies, and after that comes judgment. Only Christ didn't die sinful, so He doesn't stay dead. And He doesn't need, He doesn't receive judgment, so He is not judged. Contrary, He, as the eternal God, is the judge. Christ has already bore the sins of many, as the Word says. He has already counted righteous, many sons and daughters. It's already happened. He's already counted them righteous. He's already counted them righteous and knows when and how and where that they will come to faith and then they'll be made righteous in the presence of God. And He's not finished. Family. The story is not over. And the end has not been achieved just yet. Just because we can't see it. Just because we're in the middle of two things happening doesn't mean that it isn't already set in place and it isn't already counted as happening. Because brothers and sisters, there is a day on the way in which Christ will appear a second time. Though we are counted redeemed already, we have still yet to be fully redeemed. And ultimately, redeemed. We have yet to be saved for good from our sin. We wait on the day that Christ Jesus will step down from heaven for the second time and judge the earth. Yet our hope rests that we will not be judged, but be found faithful and trusting in Him when that day comes. And He is coming, not to deal with the sin that He has already defeated by His death and resurrection, but He is coming for His people. He is coming for His wife. He is coming for His church. He is coming to save and ultimately save those who have been redeemed. Those who are always looking for His return and always longing for that day that they are finally with Him and have true communion with Him and are conformed to be just like Him. Like the bride that waits for a bridegroom, we must wait, church, eagerly and expectantly on the day in which Christ comes to take us home. Brothers and sisters, rest assured that day is on the way for the true saints of His church. Cast your eyes upon the sacrifice that was slain to make that possible and rejoice in our only hope crucified Christ pray with me Father we do just thank you for your word we thank you for your son Jesus Christ who is the atoning sacrifice offered for us we thank you that though we cannot do it it has been done for us, and that's been promised since the very beginning. And it's here now. And we can see it, and we know it, because you've put it in us. So, 
But Father, we thank You and we love You so much for Your Son. I pray that we would hear this and we would respond rightly in repentance. We would love this crucified Christ that has done this for us, Father. We know that this is a gift come from You, so we rejoice in that. We thank You ultimately for Your Son in whom we have been bought, we have been redeemed by the great and perfect sacrifice that He is because the perfect sacrifice couldn't come from the source of the Father. In Jesus Christ's name that we pray, Father. Amen. If you would, we are just going to have a time of response. I'll be up front uh, worshiping with you if you'd like to talk to me or pray with me. Father's heart.